Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. What's going on, everybody? We're back. It's a Sooners Illustrated podcast, episode 29, on this Monday, October 23rd, 2023. The numbers are getting too high for you guys. Josh Calloway, <laughs> Tom Green, James D. Jackson. It's Monday. It's a game breakdown day. Oklahoma survived a scare against UCF on Saturday on homecoming weekend. Gentlemen, obviously, it was uh, a little dicey. How are we feeling uh, moving forward? we got another road game coming up this week. Just what's the overall vibe right now for you guys as uh, we move deeper into this season? That was a weird game. Very. Um, like I, I, I don't know. Like Oklahoma obviously never really found its rhythm offensively until the fourth quarter there. But like it, UCF, outside of like two big plays, mm-hmm. felt like they weren't doing much either. Um, we'll get more into that and how Oklahoma did against that, you know, third-ranked rushing offense. Uh, but yeah, it, it was just it was just a strange game. Obviously, you know, it's a game Oklahoma probably loses a year ago. Um, one that Brent Venable said that last year's team probably was not equipped to pull out, but you know, this team did it. And you know, they're not all going to be masterpieces. You're not going to want to hang them all in the Louvre. But they won, right. and that's the important thing this time of year. You know, you, you beat your big rival, and now you just got to take care of business the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, it's like what I said Saturday, like like Tom just said. It's just, you know, every game's not going to be perfect. So just being able to pull that out is still shows what a good team is because UCF had a lot of things going for them. Coming into that game, having the quarterback back that gets them re-energized for the game. They're going against the top team in the Big 12, a team that's been dominating the Big 12 for a long time, they're newcomers. So – it's so much motivation for them. They're on the road. They're in OU's home uh, stadium. So there's a lot that they had going for them that they really wanted to overcome. And so that gives you a lot of boost, especially in football, which is more of a you know emotional and and, and effort type of game. That's that gave them a lot of things going. So you got to give a little credit to UCF as well. But OU did not play their best game, as we said. It wasn't their best at all. And sure. it was strange because across college football landscape, a lot of the top teams mm-hmm. had some close games, some close calls, had me up until 2 a.m. Watch, watching Washington play and things like that. So Same. It just, yeah, just a, a weird, weird week of college football, not only with OU, but other teams around the nation as well. Yeah, yeah North for, Carolina for, blue chunks everywhere at home to <laughs> one win Virginia. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, there's something to be said about not playing your best and still finding a way to get it done. Yeah. You're going to have to be able to do that. If you're going to get through the whole season without a loss, which is really hard to do, you're going to have weeks where you're not – Fire on all cylinders. You got to find a way to survive it. That's what Oklahoma did on Saturday. They survived it. Jackson yeah, and, and not having not having Tommy Walker out there, obviously that 
Sure. We, we made our predictions before we knew the, the, I guess, the entirety of the of the unit. I mean, we knew OU was going to have, you know, some offensive line adjustments with, with, with McKay still out. We knew that Nick Anderson was going to have to step up for Andrew Anthony, but we didn't know that Tommy Walker wasn't going to be there. And that's the guy you kind of want in that situation against a, a team that doesn't do very well against the run. I mean, that's you see, uh-huh. that's, they don't defend the run very well. And so you want to have one of your best backs out there and just this didn't work out that way. And then Marcus Major, obviously, he was dealing with a shoulder injury, so he wasn't 100% healthy out there. And Gavin Sauter just got, just got started very slow in that game. You know, that's that, it was not something that Jeff Levy thought would happen, is what he said at, after the post game. But he just, as the game went on, he got much better and, and it worked out for him, especially in the fourth quarter, as Tom said. They, the offense really got going because Gavin Sauter found his rhythm and was able to, you know, get more yards here and there. So it worked out for him. Yeah, they they could not run the ball effectively for three plus quarters mm-hmm. against one of the worst rushing defenses in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of that is obviously not having Tawi Walker, who is serving a in-house suspension, but should be back this week. You know, part of it was your offensive lines a little bit mixed and matchy there. You know, you had Caden Breen playing at left guard. You had uh, Savion Bird and uh, Caleb Schaefer splitting time at right guard. But also, you just don't have a reliable running back situation right now, um, especially with your lead guy missing. You know, Marcus Major had a hard time getting things going. He finished with 18 carries for 82 yards. Gavin Sasha got his first career start, but really, like James said, you know, got off to a slow start. I mean, he mishandled a wildcat snap. He dropped a third down uh, wide open pass from Dylan Gabriel on that first drive. Didn't really do anything until those final two drives. I believe 56 of his 63 yards came on Oklahoma's final two drives. You know, up and you know, through the first three quarters, Oklahoma only ran for 115 yards on, you know, like 29 carries, average like four yards per carry. In the fourth quarter alone, they had like 89 yards um, rushing. Um, certainly on those last two drives, really, uh, is when they just were able to get things going. And a lot of that was, you know, Gus Malzahn said UCF's defense got worn down a little bit late. Some of it was, you know, Oklahoma just, you know, starting to find some rhythm. And, you know, maybe that's something they can build toward uh, moving forward, um, especially with the way Gavin Sotruck kind of finally settled in. You know, this is the most substantial playing time he's gotten since that cheese it bowl against FSU. But, man, the running game was just bad for – better part better part of this game um but I, I thought it was kind of funny because you know i i don't know if you guys remember but you know right before the start of big 12 play brent Venables was talking about you know this team needing to be able to line it up and run it when 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 the time came when teams knew that they were going to run it when everybody in the stadium knew they were going to run it and this really felt like the first time all season that that finally like that moment came in the fourth quarter there, those last two drives. So there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I mean, at, yeah. when the time they really needed it, they got it. They they got themselves together and ran the ball really well. You know, just at the beginning, it was it was just weird because it was a couple of times where Jalil Farouk and Drake Stoops and Gavin Freeman lined up in the backfield as running backs. They didn't have a running back out there. Kind of just went with the receivers. And mm. I think Farouk actually got a handoff. Stoops did too. Got a, actually got a yeah, hand. Freeman off. definitely did. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 ran the ball from that position. So that's strange. You knew that you knew that OU was you know down on backs at that situation when it, when that happened. I think that was in the first half uh, when that occurred. So 
weird stuff going on. Like, but if you look at the stats, I mean, it looks like they ran the ball a lot better than they did. Because if you watch the full game, you know exactly what we're talking about. You, know, you can't just look at the stat sheet. But the, the beginning of that game was was pretty rough on the run game. And they just, I mean, they got better as the, as the game went on, which is kind of what you want to see in that situation. You know, being able to run the ball late, so that helped out a lot. And you you spoke on it, Tom. UCF's defense kind of got tired. That's where that competitive depth comes in that, that Brendan Venable's talking about. You know, he's not the team that has a situation now to where his team's going to get tired at the end because they have to play so many snaps with the same guys that they just they just fall apart at the end of the game. You know, OU was able to overcome that. They've had all these injuries and still been able to have guys come out there and still be productive, as we talked about with Nick Anderson, guys like that, and just coming in and being the, the guy that they need to be. So, you know, good win for OU. Good win, especially with all the circumstances that were going on. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think outside of those last two drives in the fourth quarter, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about the kneel downs after the stop two point conversion, but those last two scoring drives, it felt like the only time that Oklahoma was able to find any sort of success in the run game was late in the first half. I think it was that touchdown drive right before they gave up the long score. Marcus Major started to get going. You saw him pick up, you know, five, six yards at a time, and they moved downfield pretty efficiently that drive and scored. Um, but yeah, it's just they need to find a way to run the ball more consistently over the second half of this season. Um, you know, they've managed to this point, but at some point they're going to need to just find something reliable there. Um, you know, like Brian Fennell said, you know, run through trash, find ways to get those yards when they might not be there. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, watching the game back this morning, you know, because it get a little different perspective um, from when I'm on the field. You know, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But when you take into consideration the opponent, because like we said, going into the weekend, UCF, statistically, one of the worst rush defenses in the country, you would hope for more. Now, like James said, it kind of extenuating circumstances. Ty Walker was out. Marcus Majors banged up. Um, it was good to see them get it going in the fourth. Obviously, Sawchuk had the big touchdown run. Maybe that's the start of something. You know, I, I just, from the most simplistic level, I just, you know, for me, and you guys can speak on it as well, it feels like the running backs just need to play better. Because, I, you know, I can't tell you how many times, and I'll talk about Saturday in particular because that's obviously the game we're breaking down. I can't tell you how many times it felt like on the field, from my vantage point, I thought Oakland was about to break a big run. You know, I see a lane opening, a gap, and it's like, ooh, and then it, it doesn't happen because the running back, whoever it is, Major or Sawchuck or somebody else, just doesn't really hit the hole clearly. They need to make one guy miss to break a big one, and they don't do it. You know, that kind of thing seems to be happening a lot. And uh, not that I don't think these guys are talented or anything. I mean, coming into the year, we talked about how unbelievably deep this group was. Um, now, obviously, injuries have hindered that. But still, even so, you would think that, you know, they'd be doing a little more effective uh, stuff on the ground than they are right now. So I don't know. I think the offensive line overall is doing fine. They're certainly pass protecting very well, but the running backs need to kind of just step it up. And maybe we saw a little bit of that, you know, in the fourth quarter of this game where major and Sawchuk both kind of got it going a little bit and we'll see if it carries over into this weekend. Uh, obviously that, you know, and, and moving into the back half of the season, that remains to be seen, obviously. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Injuries, injuries have just played a, a big part of it. I mean, I, I think that's you know, you know, a big case. They, Which I thought he's not hurt, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, he's he's out, but that's basically. I mean, you know, it's the same. It's just like they've dealt with so many injuries in that group, and the expectations we had for him. I mean, we we can't really hold him to that with all the everything that they've been going through. You know, Gavin not being out there a lot of time with his hamstring and Javante Barnes. We really haven't seen much of him since you know the first two games. You know, just him mm -hmm. being healthy. He's, he's dealing with the injury as well that. 
you know, Britt Venom was kind of hinted to. They never really tell you exactly what it is when we ask for those that are want to know why we don't know that. They don't, they just, they kind of keep those things on the wraps. That's, that's how it goes for them. You know, it's just, we don't really know for sure, but we know that they're hurt. And we knew that Marcus Major was dealing with something as well. Just, you know, just, just seeing that. I mean, it was kind of the talk around. I, I think, Josh, you were down there when you heard about Marcus Major's shoulder uh, before the game. I mean, they were talking yeah. about it on the field, and that kind of got up to us in the press box. It's just they, they've dealt with some injuries there, and it's, it's hindered a lot of what they wanted to do. Now, I think given the circumstances, they've done, a, I mean, a pretty good job. Let's not, let's not be too bleak and say that the running back unit is just terrible and, it's, you know, it's, that's not the situation. It's just they've had so many injuries that they can't be 100%. They can't be up to their standard right now. Yeah. Now, as far as the rest of the offense goes, you know, I I felt like there's times where they missed Angel Anthony in this game. It felt like they weren't able to stretch the field to quite the same level, although Nick Anderson continues to be insane. Two more touchdowns for him. He's at eight. Um, Every other kid, seems like. Every other and kid. Marvin Mims, I, I think yesterday, Marvin Mims set the freshman record in 2020 with nine. Big 12 freshman record. Nick Anderson's got eight. Now, that was in a COVID-shortened season, which what made that Mims record extra impressive yeah obviously yeah. it was a shortened season but anderson's at eight right now and he's still got he a few weeks to go before he gets to that yeah before he gets to yeah. that covid season number pretty insane what he's doing so he's clearly their best deep threat you know down the field big play weapon jill fruk was moderately effective drake stoops had a very big game especially in the kind of the second half when the chips were down it was like okay oklahoma needs drives like this is getting dire drake stoops came through with several big plays gabriel played all right not his best game, not his worst game. Ran the ball a little bit, had a few timely scrambles. How do you guys kind of just, I guess, overall kind of grade out what the offense did in this game? Because that's like we just said, didn't run the ball very well. Kind of a long stretch in the middle of this game where they were stuck on 17 points. I mean, the third quarter was they couldn't get anything going. They found it late when they needed to. Where do you kind of come out of this feeling about Jeff Levy's side of the ball kind of overall as it continues to be – up and down. They've had games where they look unstoppable and games where it looks clunky and not very good at all. Where, where are you feeling right now after this latest kind of weird game for them? I think Dylan Gabriel had another solid game. I mean, he he had a better completion percentage than he did in the Texas game. Didn't have as many yards, you know, 253 yards, but still three touchdowns. The one interception, which, again, that that's a pass that Drake Stoops usually and should make i mean that went right off of him um and just kind of caromed into a defender's hands but you know it was another solid performance from dylan gabriel you know he just stays even keel all the time he had to scramble a little bit more than i think we've seen him do i think he had four official scrambles um offensive line you know had its moments but they're a little bit shaky in this one i mean they gave up a season high three sacks um, and then, like I said, Dylan had to uh, scramble a few more times than probably they're used to him doing because they've been doing a lot of design runs or option runs with him. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it, it was just there something about this offense, this game, it was just off. Um, they clearly missed Andre Anthony, like you said, not having that, you know, kind of not just a deep threat, but I think he's their most complete receiver overall. Like he, He's been a guy that they've been able to get some intermediate stuff into. And uh, and certainly a guy that Dylan Gabriel had a lot of trust in. They had a good rapport. Uh, he saw a good, healthy amount of targets. 
but you know, kind of as we expected, Nick Anderson stepped up into that role at the outside receiver spot. And you know, he led the he led all wide receivers in snaps with 78. That's a career high for him. He had a career high in targets with nine, career high in receptions with five, another hundred yard game, two touchdowns. I mean, that's kind of what you expect from Nick Anderson at this point, um, as he continues to kind of grow into this role. Um, I think we saw a little bit more LV Bunkley Shelton than we expected. Uh, Jaquez Petway got in there for a couple snaps early on, but then didn't really see the field after that. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of a clunky offensive game. Um, and I think a lot of it starts with just that inability to establish the run early on and missing your best wide receiver. Um, yeah. yeah. It wasn't the same. This is the thing. It Personnel wise, it wasn't the same offense that that played against Texas. I mean, just, I mean, if you look at that offense and, you know, the guys that are out there, we, we talked about it, the offensive line, the running backs, the wide receivers, they all have a different guy out there now trying to fit in and trying to find a new role. And so, you know, that you give credit to OU for figuring it out. That's that's what I would say. We don't want to sound too bleak. They figured it out with what they had on the field, and now they have a, a week to build on that. So UCF was a good opponent to kind of figure that out and, and get everything notched down. So now you have another week going into a very good team against Kansas, and you got to figure – you know, you got to really – keep the momentum going now, especially what you saw in that fourth quarter. Maybe that's maybe that's what we'll see from now on. They, they, they figure things out. And, I mean, I like when we talk about Dylan Gabriel. I, I said on Saturday uh, in our right immediate recap, you know, it's one of those things we just go on the field and just, re, just react. And I said he may not have had a Heisman type of uh, game. You know, when you look at the rest of the, the college football landscape, I mean, it looks like he pretty much did because, I mean, he was one of the better quarterbacks mm. uh, in the country when you look at the, the guys that are going at, after the highs in this this year. So I want to backtrack on that. I want to backtrack on that. Dylan Gabriel played a very good game, and I think the stats and look at everything he did, it, I mean, it looks a lot better than what some of the guys that are going for the Heisman they did last week. I mean, did last week as well. So that's good for Gabriel. That's good for Gabriel. I like this offense when yeah. he scrambles and, and opens up and scrambles. I think – it adds an extra dynamic to it, and I, I like to see that more as we get more into the, into the season. Yeah, I was a little surprised we didn't see a few more design runs for Dylan, um, especially you know with Oklahoma going into this game, knowing that it would be without Tawi, knowing that UCS run defense isn't really great. I thought we might see a little bit more from him um, in that regard. But, you know, they, they just – Tried to stick with Gavin Sacha, tried to stick with Marcus Major. Obviously, you know, Jamil Farouk, I think he lined up in the backfield on 10 different snaps, got three carries. We saw Drake and Gavin back there too. Um, it really just feel like a piecemeal effort uh, mm -hmm. with the run game. But, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, like, like I said, there's, there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, they were able to come on late in the fourth quarter. Like, you look at last year's team, so many times they faded in the fourth quarter of games, this team just again and again, you know, whether it was this game, whether it's a Texas game, uh, SMU, even Cincinnati, like they just come on strong in the fourth quarter and kind of create that separation. And even if it's not pretty, they're, they just kind of grind out these ugly wins when they need to. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're two and oh in one score games now. Um, obviously yeah. that was a, a big issue last year. Oh, and five one score games. You're two and oh now. Um, yeah, you can't accuse Jeff Lebby of, of uh, certainly of being willing to abandon the run, continue to stick with it. We saw it against SMU as well. felt very similar uh, to that game. The main thing you can say right now on the positive side, from my vantage point, about the offense is that they're not going to blink. You know, they're not going to panic. Now, I was impressed with that, especially you get into the fourth quarter of this game. They're still sitting on 17 points. 
They got that one. They got the touchdown early to Nick Anderson. They finished the half strong with those ten points right before halftime. But other than that, they hadn't really done anything. But they still just looked like we're going to be fine, you know. And Dylan Gabriel, I think now in back-to-back games, obviously we all know what happened in the Cotton Bowl and this weekend. Chips are down. We need points desperately right now. They've come through. So there's some confidence to be taken from that if you're an Oklahoma fan that when the chips are down, big moment. That that stadium was tense. You know, it was a six-point lead for UCF in the start of the fourth quarter, and UCF actually had the ball. Oklahoma got a big stop there that they need to have. We'll talk about the defense in just a minute. But there's a re- there's a lot of reason to think and feel confident in these close-game scenarios because that was something through the first five weeks. They were just dominating teams that you didn't really have to see yet. Like when, when the nerves are tight and things are getting a little tense out here, how are they going to respond to it? Obviously – Flying colors past in the Texas game and more of the same uh, this weekend when it was really looking a little dicey for a bit. So, I, yeah, I mean, overall, not the offense's best day, but we've seen that they'll have stretches where they don't look like everything's working real great. They'll come back next week. They'll probably go into Lawrence's weekend and hang 60 on Kansas, and then nobody would blink. It's going to be kind of that kind of year for this group right now so far. As we, uh, yeah, and, and certainly you don't expect the team to score every time they get the ball, but it's it's not like they – Hey, Tom. Hey. <laughs> it's not like they struggled completely offensively. I mean, they, they got well, down they, to the record a few times, and it's just they, they came away with no points because – They missed some field goals. Yeah. They missed some field goals. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll get – We'll get there. Special yeah. teams later, but let's, let's, let's look over to the defense. <laughs> like I said, I mean, it's just – OU fans are just so used uh, – Tom, they, they're – they used to you say no, nobody scores every time downfield, James. Nobody they used that. to get really close to it. That's that's all I'm gonna say. It was it was that situation, oh, and that's wow, why man. fans like we see this now, and it's just like, oh, I don't know. Like, is, is the offense good? You know, and then you look at the stats, and they're like top ten in the country. So you gotta like, you gotta kind of reel it into back into reality. You know, you're you're basically like a a, a regularly high powered offense, not just a historically great offense like OU fans have seen in a long time. You know, that's that's the difference now, and so. That's where it comes out to. I mean, OU outrushed UCF. UCF is number number three coming in in the nation and rushing, and they, and they were able to outrush them. We talked about how bad the rushing looked, but they still did that. And I think that says a lot about the defense too. So we'll see yeah. what goes on in that. Yeah, yeah they, they, they still finished with fewer rushing yards than UCF is averaged allowing this season. So it's not it's not like they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're smashing. Sure. But yeah, no. As as we kind of flip over, look at what the defense did. The story of this game really kind of overall was the inability to run the football for both teams. Because we came in saying that UCF's got this great rushing attack, number three in the country, and the rush defense stinks. Should be a lot of running the ball for both teams potentially in this game. Oh, you couldn't run the ball. UCF couldn't run the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of a couple of, of big runs, I mean, they only yeah, finished. They, they, they had that 56-yarder that set up their first touchdown. Right, and even outside of that, that, they had 95 yards on 40 carries. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, the defense, really bad. The defense takes a lot of credit. Between the tackles at all, mm-hmm. at all in this game. Oklahoma – dominated in the trenches on that side of the football 3.6 yards per carry for a UCF rush attack. That's been so good. And again, that like Tom just iterated there, that's with RJ Harvey breaking a 50 plus yarder yeah. in this game. You take that away. Without that. It's looking real gross. Yeah. So really impressed with Oklahoma's rush defense in this game. Um, the guys on the edges downs and trace forward are both playing really well. It's really nice to see trace Ford kind of coming around. Um, you know, we talked about it a lot, you know, last year. Uh, so you guys weren't around then, but the Brent Venables defense is complicated, it takes a while to get your feet wet and kind of feel good about what you're doing. Feels like Trace Ford is getting there to that point, uh, right now. Obviously, getting toward the middle of his first year in Norman, 
But defensive line as a whole was great. Danny Stutzman, again, leads the team in tackles. He's just, you know, he's the the consistent just everywhere, making plays constantly. Jaron Kanick was good again in this game. Secondary was all right. Billy Bowman had some nice moments. How do you kind of feel about the defense overall? Um, obviously, there was a couple of big busts. The big touchdown before halftime, the 85-yard. That looked very, uh, Tom, that looked very Nick Marshall at Auburn E. that play, <laughs> that Plumlee yeah. throw down the field. Um, yeah. But overall, I mean, Gus Malzahn, Gus Malzahn coached a good game. He was tri- mm-hmm. he was dialing some things up, but I think Oklahoma overall did all right handling it and obviously got the big stop at the end when they needed to. Yeah, I thought this quote from Brent Venables after the game was pretty telling. You know, he said, you know, that game had all the makings of a dominant performance on defense, but it wasn't. You know, it started up front. They did really well with the pass rush. Um, they got three sacks. We've, we've seen that uh, kind of gradually improve over the last few weeks, you know, they got off to a real slow start this season, but, you know, over the last three games, they've got 10 sacks, you know, they had 13 tackles for loss in this game. So they're doing good at getting in the backfield right now, but there were obviously a lot of concerns, uh, lots of things to clean up for this defense after this performance. You know, we talked about the 54 yard run. There's the 86 yard uh, touchdown, which was just a breakdown by Woody Washington, who, you know, committed to the run and to try to stop uh, John Reese Plumley. And this guy was wide open. And, you know, it's probably another conversation of whether that touchdown should have counted or not because of the taunting before yeah. the <laughs> before the score. But you know, not happy about that one. Yeah, it should there, have. there was lots to clean up. <laughs> but lots of promise. And I think that's what Brent Venables liked the most about this game. Obviously he was kind of ambivalent about the performance overall. He liked that they won, but also liked that when he got, when, you know, they go into practice today on Monday, he's going to have plenty of plenty to yell at them about in, in the right way. Definitely. Yeah. Like I said, the defense, I mean, the defense, they held up on, in, in their own and it was more points that would have been off the board if, you know, they had that goal line stand, right? It was, you know, back-to-back after Texas, we could do another one. And then Jared Kennett gets that that uh that penalty, and then they score on the next play. And that kind of hurt them a lot because it should have been just three points or whatever it was. And that changed a lot of what the game was. You know, uh, I even asked Danny Stutzman about that, and he was like, I don't even count that as a goal line stand now because of they scored the next time because we had the penalty. So yeah. we're just going to – we're going to figure that out and, you know, get things get things going from there. But to see the defense do that again, I mean, it just shows you it wasn't a fluke. Like, these guys are good on the goal line. That, you know, that, that might come back to a situation where they really need it, and they, they, they should be able to get it done. It gives you kind of some confidence uh, going forward in, in that sense. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a goal line stand. <laughs> they, they gave it a touchdown. If, if, uh... But it was – that's what I'm saying. It was on third down, so they got yeah. the stop, and then Jaron kind of gets – they were going to kick a field goal. Yeah, but it wasn't. But in the end, it's not a goal line stand. I mean, it was a good effort for three plays, but Jaron Kanick just kind of lost his cool there, and he got popped for what Ethan Downs almost got popped for Mm -hmm. against Texas. And so I was a little surprised to see that, especially because you know, just coming out of that game, you know, a big discussion point was, oh, hey, you know, Ethan, you got to kind of reel it back in there a little bit. So to come off that, and then to have Jaron do the same thing, and and have it cost your team a touchdown in that situation was a little, a little bit shocking, especially from a guy who's got so much experience in this defense at this point. And it's not like he's, you know, getting thrown out there for the first time. Like he's played a lot of snaps, but, um, but yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see that. Yeah. You got, you mentioned it, the 86 yard touchdown right before half, obviously very gross. Uh, all another these, one, yeah. I mean, you give up an 86 another yard one. play at any point, but especially right before half, 
you had just got the momentum back after Nick Anderson's second yep. touchdown. Because it felt like after Nick got the ends on that second time, they went up 14-10 for half. It felt like, okay, Oklahoma's got their feet underneath them. They're going to probably be just fine the second half of this game. And then you, you allow that, a just massive coverage bust and a gigantic play. But, yeah, the blowing the kisses down the sideline, obviously hilarious. First off, it's, it's so college football. But then it was ruled taunting after the play. Uh, Brent Venables, not a fan of it. And, look, I'm not I, – I don't like that rule that if you taunt, it would wipe out the touchdown. That's a dumb rule to me. But that that's what happened. I mean, we've we've seen over the years touchdowns get wiped out because of guys taunting on their way to the end zone. Like, that's just – that that happens – you know, a couple times a year. And if that is not that, he was at the 30-yard line, he started doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is. So I think Brent Venables was rightfully, you know, uh, upset about that. But yeah. And he said the yeah. official missed that and only caught the coordinated in celebration yeah. in the end zone, which, I mean, I don't know how you miss that when you're trailing the play the whole time. Yeah, but, he, was standing right, yeah he was right there. Yeah. So it is what it is. But, yeah, you, we talked about it. So yeah. the defense, they give up that play. They give up the after the, the uh, goal line stop or whatever you want to call it, Tom. And then they then they have that the fourth down play at the end of the game where they scored a touchdown on like fourth and ten or whatever. I don't remember the measurement, but that last play of the game they they scored a touchdown. So there's there's three scores right there where you think maybe oh you could have done a lot better job, and this game looked a lot different, especially on the defensive end. So just to, like we said, the fact that they were able to get it out and you know, Kendall was able to make the play that he did the the best play of his life is what he called it after when we talked to him. It's it's a, it's still a good sign, even though they had all those those breakdowns that were crucial, crucial, and heartbreaking mm-hmm. on like one play situations. The Sooners Illustrated podcast will be back after this short break. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So 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 okay. <laughs> Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Yeah, allowing the fourth and ten just to cut it to two, not good. Um, obviously, you had you had UCF dead to rights there. Fourth and ten, game on the line. You know, and pick it up, score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But did it bounce back to stop the two pointer? Um, you know, after the Texas game, if you guys remember on that Monday, I, I I said I just felt like Oklahoma was so prepared so many times they just snuffed out plays. You know, Gus Malzahn got them a few times, but on that two point, I mean, they were absolutely all over it. He tried to go to a kind of a double pass. Which I actually didn't even realize in the moment. I'm in the complete other end zone. Oh. And I actually didn't realize in live that he was looking to pass until I watched it back. I was like, oh, he's looking down the field. And they just – he had nowhere to go. Which is the thing is – He only had one – he only had one receiver on that side of the yeah. field with him, which, I mean, I just think that's a play design flaw in that mm-hmm. in that case. Um, you you got to have a, a second option there for the running back to throw to. 
Um, but I mean, credit to Kendall Dolby, credit to, you know, Billy Bowman and Woody Washington for the job they did on that play too, to cover up the one receiver in the end zone. Right. But, you know, they, they played fundamentally sound with the game on the line. They played disciplined football in that situation. And on a day where we saw a lack of discipline on several occasions for this defense and, you know, frankly, for the team as a whole in some spots, it was good to see them that when their back was against the wall, when it mattered most in that make or break moment, they stuck to it. Mm-hmm. And I think the way the coverage was too, like it, it would have took like a Heisman level quarterback throw to make it, to make it work. You know, I think that was the issue there because the running backs just doesn't have that confidence to do it. Now, granted, he should have threw it regardless. You, you got to give it a shot because you're not going to get by the defense from where he was standing at. Sure, uh, yeah. I mean, was, you just got to let it go, man. guys over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, Billy Bowman had the had the receiver blanketed, and then Woody Washington was kind of playing bracketed coverage there, um, kind mm-hmm. of came in a little bit and then yeah. faded back. Saying, it been a, it's a tough throw to make. It's yeah. not play. I mean, they just covered it up. I don't <laughs> yeah. just covered up, left him with nothing. Um, it's funny, you know, and this is shout out to Toby Rowland, obviously the voice of the Sooners on the radio, he noted it when I look back and look at some of the highlights with, with his broadcast over it. It's amazing, and obviously you guys haven't covered the team, and especially Tom wouldn't have an appreciation for it, but how many times a team has had a two-point conversion in Norman late in the game they don't get to it. tie or take the lead and not come through with it? It's yeah. actually getting weird. Like yeah, it keeps 2015 happening. TCU, 2018 Bellum, 2019 one, yeah. Iowa State. And there may be one more. Like, it's actually gotten crazy how many times through all those bad defenses that there was a two-point conversion at the end of the game to either win it or tie it for the opponent, and Oklahoma buckles down and gets the stop. It's crazy. It's like – it's funny. They, I didn't they, think they, they always – It's like that has happened a weirdly high number of times. Every time in Norman, too. Always at home. Kind of and they always try to throw it, don't they? I don't think it's been one where they just try to Usually, run it. yeah. Head. It's like a – Every time they try to throw it on the outside. Yeah, no, they're all throws. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Picture in my brain, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's a weird. It's, it's kind weird. of a funny little little thing. Um, but yeah, defensively, um, some really good things. I mean, UCF had that great rush attack. They did nothing. Um, so I think a lot to like. He didn't force a turnover in this game, which is, you know, is they put their doing. I think I that's saw the game, stat that's the first close. time that Brent Venables got a win without a turnover. Yep. Just being at OU, which is I don't know. I mean, maybe kind of a nice thing if you want to spin it, spin it that way. Um, but <laughs> They overcame they still, that. They still lead the nation in turnover margin, though. That's kind of wild. Yeah. And you're right, uh, Tom. You mentioned earlier that interception from Gabriel, I wouldn't really put on him. Kind of an unlucky play. Yeah. Good play by UCF, that defender who made that play on the ricochet, too. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, uh, Oklahoma yeah. did force a fumble. To ball just yeah, went stuck out in a clean, clean strip, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, overall, I mean, good stuff in the defense. I don't have a lot much more to add. I mean, it was, you know, pretty well. Got the stop you need to at the end some busts that you're not happy with, but overall continue to, to look good. Um, I, we'd be remiss too. I, I should have mentioned earlier, but the Gavin Sawchuk touchdown Todd, to not ice the game, but to put him up by eight late objectively, one of the most hilarious plays because he, he's running down the middle of the field, looking at the sideline, not sure if he should score or not, which he absolutely should. It was like over three yeah. minutes left. Yeah. He's checking yeah. with the sideline. Like, do I score? And he had so much space that he was able to just run around just having a a without words, a nonverbal conversation just with Venables in the sideline of looking at him. He, I, I, I would love to know. Did he talk after after the game? I'm with the, yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to have something about this uh, on the site this afternoon. Um, 
but he, he was saying that he was looking back to the sideline, obviously just trying to see, you know, is anybody telling him to get down and get down or, you know, just go score. The first person that he like makes eye contact with is offensive graduate assistant Tanner Schaefer, who's just like jumping yeah. up and down, like celebrating ball. And he's like, oh yeah, I should probably, I should probably run this in then. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, he, no, he talked about it. He's like, look, you don't want to make the selfish play, you know, just kind of being aware of, you know, how much time's left on the clock. Obviously, there was way too much time for too much time. Him, yeah. him to kind of, you know, take the slide there and punch it in afterward. But uh, I mean, you like to see that kind of, uh, unselfishness, that mentality, at least from him, um, and just kind of the awareness of, hey, yeah. do I need to do this or do I not? But it is, like you said, legitimately hilarious that he had that much time to be able to like cognizantly like get get beyond the defense and then look back to the sideline. He, he said he's, he's never really his had brain to do that. churning while yeah. he's running. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. I give him I give him credit just for thinking about it in in the moment, sure. just thinking about. Let me be a team player here. Let me look back. But obviously, it's, you want to score. I, I gave him credit just for thinking about the clock. And, you yeah. know, it came close to where a UCF player was almost going to try to, you know, poke the ball up because he was coming up on him as he was getting into the end zone. So Yeah, I've been asked a couple times if I thought UCF was allowing them to score. I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I think that yeah. they were still playing defense there, even even trying to chase down Sawchuck after he, exactly. he was not jerked. Exactly. So, so, yeah, I've been asked that a couple times. I don't believe so. I think UCF was still playing defense there. Although not the worst thing for the Knights because they had time the other way, and obviously it worked out for them. They almost had a chance to – they did have a chance to tie the game. Um, but, yeah, you got to go ahead and score that. There's too much time. Because if you lay down, they still had timeouts, I believe. Like, you're you're, you're getting into a hairy spot because if you don't eventually score, now you're feeling really silly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you're the right move to go ahead and punch that in. That was a hilarious play. Um, also, Peyton Bowen's sack. want to make sure just to – I don't have anything to add other than just play. <laughs> Acknowledging uh, it, yeah. Went up the edge and just lit up Plumlee. Yeah. We first talked to him afterwards. That was the first sack he's college. ever got. Yeah, yeah, that was the first sack he really? ever got. Really? He didn't have any in yeah. high school either? He didn't have any in high school. Yeah, that was surprising when I was talking That's amazing. Like, what in the world? That's amazing. Like, yeah, so that's his first college sack, first tackle for loss in college. You know, things like that. Good milestone for him. I mean, he just completely unblocked. Just absolutely smoked him. And yeah. he only played a few snaps in this game. Yeah, he only played five snaps. snaps. Yeah. But of course, but of course – of course, he plays five snaps and he finds a way to make at least one huge play. Well, he had tackles, a third down sack too. So, yeah, yeah he's yeah. just a baller, just yeah. a baller. It's one of those guys. Put him out there enough, he's going to do something big for you. He said that was the first time that they've run that blitz package too. So, like, he when they practiced it, in, like in, in practice, he was expecting to be the guy that got picked up, and the other guy was supposed to get through. He was like, when he came around the edge, he was like, oh, it's me. So I'm just going to. Oh, snap. There's nobody <laughs> stopping me. It felt, it's funny, I said to James on the in the recap, it felt so much like Trey Brown in the Big 12 Championship game against Sam Ellinger. Yeah. Coming up the edge and just lighting him up. Yeah. And then literally that happened and they played it on the board as far as, as part of like a, a Jim Ross, like Big 12 memories thing. And I was like, was that planned? Did they have that ready? <laughs> like the timing of that was incredible. Yeah, the, the um, search bar up there. Yeah, supervision folks for having that ready. The search bar up there must be crazy. Yeah, let's see what's going on with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, um, before we wrap up, obviously, kicking situation is not good. Zach Schmidt missed two more in this game. We talked about it a couple times this year. Um, just simply put, it, it's not it, – it's just not reliable at all. In a big spot, if, if the Oklahoma is at the end of a game right now and needs a kick to tie or win the game – not a single OU fan on earth is going to feel confident from really any distance. He had a big miss against Texas that nobody's talked about because they won the game, but that 
that miss could have cost them um, in that game. He's and missed nobody, four of his last nine attempts. It's kind of forgotten because the heroics of Gabriel and Nick Anderson, they won the game. Um, but he's he had brutal misses last year. And now so far this year, the two close games they've had, he's had really costly misses. They've been able to win in spite of it. It's a problem, guys, obviously. I mean, it it's going to – Yeah, I'm not going to say it will bite OU at some point, but it very well might. Obviously, if they keep playing close games, it's not good. I think you got to try somebody else here pretty pretty soon. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Obviously, Brent Venables after the game was asked about this, and he's said he saw his great confidence in Zach Schmidt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, which you can't give an honest answer right there. He can't give it. He can't. Yeah, I mean, what, yeah. What, what, whether you stick with him or whether you kind of open up the competition in in practice, and you know, maybe we see Gavin Marshall get an opportunity at some point. Publicly, you have to say that you have confidence in it, especially especially for that position at kicker, where it's such a mental position. Yep. Um, and even before the season, uh, you know, you were over there, Josh, when, when Zach Schmidt was talking to us that one day in fall camp, it's like, yeah, you know, he talked about those struggles of last season, the experience, the ups and downs, and just kind of how to manage it and the importance of, hey, not letting one kick have an effect on the next kick, you know, being able to flush it out and not, you know, missing the same quick kick twice in essence. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seemed to be in a good headspace coming into the season. But the struggles are still there. Um, now, I don't want to, like, knock him completely for the Texas one because I've had a lot of people say that, like, a headwind just came in, uh, like, right before that kick and kind it of – looked weird. It, it, that, that kick just died. But two makeable misses this week, you know, from 38 and 43 yards. You know, he made the chip shot right before halftime to tie it at 17-17. But in a game that you win by two points – missing two field goals and leaving points on the board when you're in the red zone is just not something that you can, you, yeah. know, you can get away with for too long. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see whether, you know, they stick with Schmidt like Venable said, or whether, you know, some other guys, Gavin Marshall or whoever starts to get a look. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was really close on the second one too. I mean, I think when we look at him on the field, he thought it went I in. thought he made it. Yeah, because of where it went right over the the goal, the the top of the goalpost or whatever it is. Yeah, it was really so close. He, yeah, it was really close. I mean, you know, have that, and, but to have him come back and make that field goal before the half. I mean, that's that's the biggest field goal of the game when you think about it too, because UCF gets that taunting call, so OU gets better field position after the kick return, and they were able to get down the field and kick their field goal just before the half, and they win by two points. I mean, so that. That field goal was big. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a big it, 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 it is kind of funny though. Like Gus Malzahn, you know, I went to his press conference after the game and he said the same things like, you know, we're kicking off from our from our own 20 yard line and they get better field position. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma didn't get that much better field position to start that drive though. They started at the 26 yard line. <laughs> so they they, they netted mm-hmm. out six yeah. yards. Like if, if it's if you're looking at it as a touchback or something. But still, the James points, like that's an important field goal. The fact that Oklahoma was able to still get down the field and kick that as time expired in half, like, yeah. Going in 17-17 is yeah. a lot better than going down 17-14 after giving up that long touchdown. Yeah. That's something, we, yeah, we didn't, you know, those misses early, something we didn't really you know, mention. We kind of danced around it. But Oklahoma really dominated, dominated the first quarter of this game and were leading 7 nothing after the first quarter because it was twofold. They weren't finishing drives in yeah. the red zone and then settling for field goals that were then missed. Um, yeah. You got great field position several times. I mean, four straight three and outs to start this game. UCF defense. had 15 total yards in the first quarter. They didn't get a first. And it doesn't down even feel like it was that high. <laughs> yeah, honest. they didn't get a first down until the final play of the first quarter. Yeah, you got to be you got to be beating UCF by more than a touchdown at the end of the first quarter 
with those kind of numbers. And yeah. part of that is them finishing drives. The other part of that is Schmidt needs to bang those through. I mean, if it was 13 nothing, now that's a huge difference, but it feels a lot different. No, you got the ball on their side of the field a couple of times because they yeah, had such terrible punts. Yeah, I think three of their first four drives. Yeah. Um, I think 18 of their 22 plays in the first quarter were on UCF's side of the 50. Um, and yeah. to come away with only seven points after all that is obviously disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, kudos to Oklahoma's defense for coming out the way it did. Things kind of fell apart a little bit in the second quarter. I think UCF had close to 220 yards in the second quarter alone which is legitimately almost double the yardage that Gus Malzahn's offense had the last time he went against Brent Venables in 2017 for a whole game. He had that the second quarter. So UCF obviously found something and, you know, Oklahoma's defense, you know, obviously a lot of that goes to the 86 yard touchdown pass, but there's definitely things to clean up. But as we said, you know, some, some bright spots to be pretty pleased with too. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. So, to kind of wrap up here, overall temperature check for you guys. I was going to say, know. one other thing on the special teams front, if we're, sure. you know, obviously talking about Zach Schmidt and his Honor. struggles. Yeah. Good, good shout point. out to Luke Elzinga. Um, <laughs> first game that he's really handled punting duties solo, averaged 51.6 yards per punt. Better. Yeah. Which was like, I think, top five in the nation this, uh, this week. Um, 45 net yards per punt, which was like, I want to say like 15th or something um, in the country this week. So obviously, you know, he, he did a lot better, put four of those inside the 20-yard line. So I think Oklahoma may have at least found a solution to its punting issues that it had earlier in the season. Um, but, yeah. And Brent, Brent Venable shutting him out too. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. it shows they, they saw something. In. No, I mean, he's felt, kicking like perfect spouse, right, Josh? You, you're on the field. You're seeing yeah. it. Like it's, it felt it's like cool. when – they brought him in like he would be the guy. I was kind of surprised when he wasn't. It was kind of a little more – not that Josh Plaster is not a viable option, but, um, yeah, if you, you know, they kind of made that switch, and we'll see if they do the same for the kicker job on Saturday in uh, in Lawrence. So, kind of wrap up this game. Um, just overall, I guess, confidence meter after this. How shaken are you, if at all? I mean, I'll be totally honest, and I kind of articulated this a little bit in the recap. This game doesn't really bother me. Um, this is going to happen, in my opinion, in over the course of a college football season. Oklahoma, like Brent Venable said, made a lot of mistakes to get themselves beat in this game. In a lot of ways, they they kind of kicked UCF's tail in a lot of portions of the game and just couldn't get away from them. It was kind of just one of those games UCF was kind of just pesky and hanging around. And, you know, I said this in the recap as well. Going back to Lincoln Riley, Bob Stoops, as far back as I can remember OU football, which is about the mid, mid-2000s mid or so, Oklahoma has had games like this. They are 6-0, 7-0, 8-0, whatever it is. They're playing well. They're up. They're high in the rankings. Everything's going hunky-dory. And then they play a team that they shouldn't lose to, a Texas Tech or a Kansas State or a Colorado or whatever the heck it is. And they get in a dogfight and they lose. And that's what this game felt like, except for they didn't lose it. They found a way to get through it. So – I'm not really rattled. I still think Oklahoma's really good. Now you got to bounce back. This was an ugly game, but it's going to happen. Like James articulated earlier, Washington almost lost to Arizona State. UNC did lose to Virginia. I mean, these kind of things happen in college football. You're going to have ugly weeks. You got to find a way to get through them. They did. Is that kind of how you guys feel? Or are you guys more concerned that, hey, there were some alarming things in this game and Sooners may be in trouble of of, uh, stumbling here before it's all said and done? 
I'm not too concerned, kind of kind of to your point. I mean, you have to win ugly sometimes, especially yeah. when you look at the top 25 scoreboard across the country and you see, like you said, Texas barely escaped against Houston. Yeah, right. We didn't even um, mention that. Yeah. You know, Washington had no business winning that game against Arizona State. Uh, Florida State struggled Florida State. for the first half against Duke before pulling away there. Um, you know, Duke, Duke's quarterback Alabama got hurt. had a callback against Tennessee. I, yeah. I mean, obviously that's a ranked on ranked team, ranked mm-hmm. on ranked game too. UNC, you mentioned, uh, but you know, sometimes you just have to find ways to win these ugly games because it's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to go exactly as planned, but you still have to handle business. And Oklahoma did that. I'm curious to see if. A game like this gets Gavin Sacha going, and maybe they start to figure out some things with the run game. But you know, I don't. I'm not discouraged by this performance. Sure. Yeah, and Oklahoma, you know, has the luxury right now of not needing to worry about style points because they've got the zero in the loss column. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if Oklahoma, they can win these last six games, including the baseball championship game, by one point and look really hideous every single time and they're going to be in the playoff at the end because they're Oklahoma and they're a, you know a blue blood and a power five team if they're undefeated they'll be there so you have the uh, you know the luxury and the advantage of not having to worry about that right now because you won that Texas game so you have that yeah that's point. that's what I was going to say before we even went on yesterday after our instant recap I was like yeah I was telling Josh like yeah they won but they didn't get any scout points there and he was like well they don't even need it like it's just like yeah. You just keep winning. Really it's, it makes right perfect now. sense. I mean, you just keep winning. There's no way OU doesn't get in. They went all the way out and won the Big 12 championship. I mean, they, they might even be one or two, you know, in the country. You, you look at that because some of these teams are going to have some very tough challenges the rest of the way as well. So, mm. um, you know, just OU just needs to keep it up from here on out. And as we said, they're going to be favored in, in a lot of the games, you know, or the rest of the way, actually. And so they should just yeah, definitely just regular keep, season. Yeah. yeah, regular season. So just keep that up and they should be fine. For sure. So, as we look ahead, Kansas this week on the road, the Sunflower State up there, uh, David Booth Memorial Stadium. Um, this was a game that when we, you know, during the bye week with Colin and, and the, the three of us kind of looked at, like, what's the toughest game left? This is kind of the one that a lot of people said, probably either this or maybe Bedlam. Oklahoma State's playing well right now. Um, BYU could be tricky too. Whatever. This game is certainly up there. We don't know if Jalen Daniels is going to play. Their star quarterback, I don't think so. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. he's not. But they Sounds have a like quality backup today. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Lance Lightpool said today he's doubtful. But they have a quality backup. Jason Bean is a solid backup. He's played Oklahoma tough a couple of times already. Mm-hmm. Obviously, last year in Norman, put up some good numbers. The Sooners won that game, but Jason Bean played well. Early thoughts. Obviously, we'll break down the game in full and preview it on Thursday. But I guess initial thoughts here. I mean, the, the Jayhawks have got players, and they play well. That crowd's going to be jumping. It's a big noon kickoff there on Fox. Another early game, but the crowd will be ready for it. Their defense is not particularly great, but their offense has got guys. Um, what's the what's the thoughts here going into this game and in terms of Oklahoma danger level for Oklahoma to stumble this weekend up there in Lawrence? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Jalen Daniels' availability changes yeah. everything. I mean, he was the big 12 season yeah. offensive player of the year for a reason. Um, but if he if he can't go, I mean, Jason Bean's shown that he's a capable quarterback, has had some big games so far for them. I think having UCF the week before that Kansas game is going to be a benefit to Oklahoma just because, you know, you know listen to Brent Venables after the game, he said, you know, UCF, Kansas, kind of, kind of similar offensively in that they, they use a lot of pre-snap eye candy. They like to try to be a little deceptive mm-hmm. in what they do. So, I mean, good early test for Oklahoma to prepare, prepare them for that Kansas game, uh, Kansas offense. 
you know, I still think, you know, there's a reason Oklahoma's a 10 point favorite going into this game, um, even on the road. Uh, I'd expect the Sooners to play a better game than they did against UCF. Um, We'll see how that plays out and what that looks like. But um, again, I think they're going to handle business. Yeah, I mean, I, I think OU's going to win, you know, either way. But I, I like to see, you know, if, if Jalen Daniels is going to play for Kansas, is Tommy Walker going to play for OU, things like that. Seeing who's all going to be there. Sure. But I think OU's going to win the, win the game either way. Now, it just depends on if it's going to be close or not, you know, depending on if those guys are playing or not. That's that's where it's going to be at for me. So when we check back in on Thursday, I think we'll have a better idea of what's going to happen and, and we'll have a better prediction uh, this time around. So that's that's where I'm at right now in the situation. Yeah, Oklahoma didn't cover the spread this weekend for the first time uh, this year. Oklahoma and Penn State were the only two teams that had covered the spread in every game, and uh, they both did not <laughs> this weekend. So uh, that's no longer the case. We'll see if they get and, back on track. And Oklahoma South. lost the coin toss for the first time this season. Yeah, got to, we've got to mention Maybe that's that. the key. <laughs> they still, they still got the result they usually want, though. They, they still were uh, kicked off first, got the ball coming out of halftime. So. True. Yeah, I mean, if I was a coach – I mean, there'd be probably certain situations where I maybe take the ball, but I'm kicking the start like 99% of the time. You just getting the ball for the second half just feels so good. You just need – I'm kicking almost every time. That I think when OU, when OU had those historical offenses, that's, that, that was the time you always take the ball just because you want to get the best unit out there first and get, get ahead and play with a lead. I was, was going to say, I think, I think it says a lot about how Brent Venables – and Ted Roof feel about that defense that they're willing to trust them sure. to go out there and set yeah, the yeah. early against these teams. Um, you know, I, I don't know what they did, what their you know preference was last year, but I don't know if you would have wanted to put that defense out there first. Just rip the bandaid off. Yeah, just rip the bandaid off. <laughs> um, yeah, going to be a fun finish of the season in the Big Twelve too. It is really jammed up um, after Oklahoma. There are a lot of teams that only have one loss, and then a few more that have two. It's not, you know, we talked about it after the Texas game. It felt like a borderline given that OU Texas would play again. Uh, I don't know if that's really the case anymore. Texas had a close call with Houston. Quinn Ewers is out for a few mm-hmm. weeks. Now Malik Murphy is another really good backup. But uh, we may not see OU Texas again this year. Uh, for both teams, it's not going to be as easy to get there as I think we kind of thought. Yeah, yeah. After the, I was going to say that, after yeah. The Texas, after the, yeah, after the Red River game. Yeah. So that, uh, that, that battle game's looking a lot tougher. Right a lot now. tougher now. Yeah. If you had asked me a month ago, I would have said Oklahoma's going to beat OSU by <laughs> 30 plus easily. And now yeah. they're, yeah, I, they're I, ask back. you after that South Alabama game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they've, uh, they've turned the corner and that we know that's going to be a loony bin, uh, next they week. Figured out they figured out the quarterback situation. The they bumped it. They gave yeah, us the old six day window, six day which window. is always disgusting. Um, so we don't know. Uh, it's it's worse when it's a further road trip for us, selfishly. It's obviously just down the road, but still annoying. So we'll have to wait yeah. to see if that'll be a night game or not. But either way, the uh, Boone Pickens faithful will be on fire uh, for that game. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a fun finish. Looking forward to this weekend. We'll be back on Thursday to preview the Kansas game. Colin Kenny will also hop in the show. Hey, the latest recruiting news. Sooners have been active. Got to commit over the weekend, Devin Jordan. We'll talk about that some more on Thursday and also some of the other guys that Oklahoma is hot on the trail of. So we'll look forward to that on Thursday. That's it for now. For Tom Green, James D. Jackson, I'm Josh Callaway. We'll catch you guys Thursday for the next edition of the Sooners Illustrated Podcast. See you. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. 
Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and RJ White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. 